You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Well, this morning we're going to just continue in our series that we started a few weeks ago in the book of Nehemiah. We're unpacking this book, and uh, this is a great book. And and, uh, I just want to encourage you in your own time. One of the things is this, is that the purpose of church, so many things, and it's a long, long um, uh, just conversation, but but one of the things that we want to do here is to make you guys self-feeders because we know this, that as amazing as anything that can happen on Sunday morning, Sunday night, anytime we come together collectively in unity, anything that can happen there, you still have to be able to go home and to take it, to grow off of it. And so I just want to encourage you as we're going through this series to uh, just read alongside. Read the book of Nehemiah. It's a great book. It's a, those of you who are planner builders, detail people, you're, man, you're going to love it. It's going to become your favorite book of the Bible. And uh, just an amazing book. But there's a reason why we're looking at the book of Nehemiah because I believe that it gives us a picture of what the church, of what we're called to be on the earth today. As we have been called and empowered by the Holy Spirit to uh, renew and to rebuild and restore our city. And of course, we know the background story on Nehemiah. He was a cupbearer in the Persian Empire for the king, King Artaxerxes. And he was serving there, and he got a report about the, the, how Jerusalem was doing. Now, Nehemiah was, he, he, he was from Israel. He was an Israelite. And so he loved this city of Jerusalem where the temple rested, where the presence of God rested. He thought about it. Obviously, he thought about it because it was a question that he had. And when he heard about the walls of Jerusalem being in disrepair, God broke his heart. Well, how do you know, Pastor? It wasn't just an emotional thing. Well, I know because of what happens next and what happens throughout the book of Nehemiah because it's totally supernatural. And so God breaks his heart, and we talked about that, that anytime we talk about our city and our, and our state and our country and even this world, look, we've got so many options of how we're going to react, but, but God really wants us to react honestly with brokenness. But, but sometimes we can, we can reject brokenness because we think that it's wrong. But here's the higher thing in brokenness and why it has to start at brokenness is because in order for us to see the pain in our city, we've got to be broken with the pain of our city. Because what God immediately follows up brokenness with is hope. And that's what God gave Nehemiah was hope. And so we talked about this, and sometimes when we start to step out in hope, because I believe, I know, I don't believe, every person here is called to do great works. The Word of God says it. You're called to do great works. Our primary calling is to the Lord, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And then our secondary calling is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that can go a lot of different directions. It could take place in your workplace. It could take place in your home, in your neighborhood, at the mall, wherever. It can take place a lot of different ways. But sometimes when we get a picture of what God wants to do with us out there, where our hope is actually confronted, has a collision. There's a collision of fear. And Nehemiah faced that, and we talked about that in Nehemiah chapter 2, where Nehemiah had to go to Artaxerxes, and he was downtrodden, his face was down, and normally anybody in the king's court that showed up like that, that off with your head. But Artaxerxes looked at him and said, hey, Nehemiah, why are you so downcast, and you're not sick, you're not physically ill? And immediately the Spirit of the Lord rose up in Nehemiah, and he says this, why should I not be because the the walls of the town, the city that I live of Jerusalem are are down? And immediately opens up this conversation to Artaxerxes. And it was this supernatural event where there was a collision with hope and fear. And what results is this great courage and faith begins to explode. 
And he gets commissioned supernaturally by Artaxerxes, this guy who, who should not care about the concerns of Jerusalem, to go and to rebuild the, the walls of Jerusalem. And so we find ourselves today in Nehemiah chapter 3. And believe it or not, I'm not even going to have you open up your Bibles there. Because Nehemiah 3, what we see with Nehemiah is this, is that this crossroads of brokenness and hope and the collisions that took place where faith met and courage came out and overcame fear are actually starting to materialize. And for every one of us today, no matter if you're looking at city transformation or if it needs to start in your own heart because the, the walls around your heart are broken down, you're living in fear, you're living in addiction or pain or hopelessness, this is where we want to be. To move simply past words and sometimes even, if I can dare say in our church, even just past confirmation, but actually move into the tangible. And this is what happens in Nehemiah chapter 3. And the reason why we're not reading it is because it's actually very boring. It reads like a genealogy. If you've ever read a genealogy in the, in the Bible before, begot, 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 bop, 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 And you're like, whoa, whoa, I lost track. And what Nehemiah does is he takes the volunteer team that's there after they've had that active work of agreement where God just solidified it in Nehemiah's heart. Then he turns around and casts the vision to them. And they're like, let's rebuild the walls. And they overcame the first layer of opposition, which will come in multiple layers as we see, as we study and unpack this book. And he begins to set them around the wall. And, and Nehemiah 3 just outlines where every person was, somewhere at gates, somewhere at different portions of the wall. And and, and they set their hands to work. But there's three things, and, and if, you're, if you're a detailed person, if you're a, if you're a planner, a detailed person, you, you read the fine print, then I, you're going to love Nehemiah chapter 3. And every one of us needs to go when we leave today at some point next week and read Nehemiah 3. But there's three things that Nehemiah faced as he was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem as it tangibly, tangibly began. And the reason why we're looking again at Nehemiah 3 is because it is a, it's a picture of the body of Christ at work doing what it's called to do on the earth. Being in a tangible representation of the love of Christ on the earth. And again, with gentleness and grace, for the church of the living God, the church of Jesus Christ to be effective, it must move past words. It has to become a tangible representation of the love of Christ. And as Nehemiah moved into this tangible, to this workplace in Nehemiah chapter 3, there's three things that he faced, three things that I think we're going to learn from. The first thing that he understood in this is that it couldn't be just about the work. It couldn't be just about the work, the the higher purpose, there needed to be a higher purpose in the work. There needed to be a higher purpose. And we actually see that in Nehemiah chapter 3 because the first outline, the first, very first two uh, passage verses in, in Nehemiah 3, we see that there's actually a high priest and a, a group of priests that are set to rebuild a gate. And the scripture says this, and it's so beautiful. That as they set to put, they, they put their hands to work to rebuild this gate, that they consecrated themselves, the material, and the work to the Lord. And what took place is this, is there had to be a higher purpose. It couldn't just be about this gate. 
It couldn't just be about keeping the bad people out. It couldn't be just about keeping the good stuff in. There had to be a higher purpose. It had to be seen through God's eyes. That's the first thing that Nehemiah had to tangle with. He had to keep in front of him. The second thing was this. Is that there were parts of the wall that needed to be totally rebuilt. But then there were parts of the wall, much of the wall, that just needed to be restored. Well, wait a minute. Isn't that just semantics? No, not at all. Because anybody that's done any kind of construction, if you've ever seen construction, if you've ever watched a home improvement show on television, you know the difference between building something, demolishing something and building it from the ground up, or just simply building it from the ground up and restoring something. It takes a very different active work. It takes even a different set of skills and a level of patience and a a different eye to see. And if I can just say in a bit of boldness, I believe that's a very prophetic word for the body of Christ on the earth today. Even Moses struggled with this with the Israelites in the wilderness. He raged between saying God destroy them and standing in between them as as an intercessor. And we have to have eyes to see as the body of Christ called to rebuild, renew, and restore on this earth. We have to be able to see when God is saying restore and when He's saying rebuild. Nehemiah dealt with that. And the third thing, which is very cool, is that Nehemiah had to use all different sorts of folks to get the job done. He used skilled and he used unskilled. He used correct trades and incorrect trades on Areas where they, they shouldn't know anything about. He used musicians at certain parts of the wall. Hey, you play a trumpet good, grab a hammer. Come on. I got a job for you. How did that happen? That happened because there was a higher purpose. See, for the body of Christ to be everything that God has called it to be on the earth, it can't be about me. It has to be we doing what God wants us to do on the earth. If that means I don't get my way, and it's his way, it's okay. Hey, that's pretty good. Let's put that on a t-shirt. No, no more t-shirts. All right, so here's what I want you to do. If you don't mind, open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read 16 through 21. Because I believe this um, conversation that Paul has here with the church in Corinth parallels this. And we can see all three of these things in action, spoken in a different way, very powerful way that we can embrace today. And again, please understand that this morning, I don't want to put something over your head. I want it to connect directly to your heart. And so in doing so, what I'm going to do multiple times is I'm going to throw the larger vision out there because it's what we are called to do. And and we can't bypass that no matter what or how much pain you are in your life or is in your life today. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, you must embrace a bigger picture for transformation on the earth. But I do realize that some of you today in a very real way are dealing with some brokenness in your heart. And I believe that every one of these things you can apply, even if you have to apply personally in your life. But please allow it and allow the Holy Spirit to
to capture a bigger picture for us to see the world differently, okay? So in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21, it says this. So from now on, we regard no one with a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. What a beautiful passage, and there's so much to, to read and to digest here, but I want to pull out three things very quick. And here are the three things the body of Christ is called to do, work if it would be on the earth today. And the first thing is this, is to show the love of God on the earth. To show the love of God on the earth. This is what the body of Christ is called to do. I know this sounds like a very painfully simple statement, but let's, let's break this down and look at this really quick. If this is the highest purpose of the church on the earth, what does it mean for us as individuals? Well, Paul says it like this, and he starts off with this very provocative and powerful statement in verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one with the worldly point of view. Wait a minute. Stop. So you don't understand, Paul, I'm just simply not a morning person. I'm more irritable in the morning. If I don't get my five cups of coffee, and that's what it takes, extra bold, then I'm just not the person that I'm supposed to be. I don't wave to people on the road. I salute them. Wink, wink. I don't have patience with people. I get very irritated with them when I see them acting very Stupid. That's that's not you guys. I'm talking about me. I'm I'm saying this is a conversation I had with Paul when I read this. If my primary calling is to be a reflection of the love of God on the earth as the body of Christ, then what has to happen is that I've got to hurdle something that is very natural to me. Is that I can no longer look at people with a worldly point of view. Something has to be transformed in me. But here's the problem, and understand this, because you know this. You know that your minds must be renewed. You know this. But your mind will never be renewed to seeing somebody the way that Jesus sees them until you see yourself the way Jesus sees you. What does that mean? Let me break it down another level. You have got to walk in the deep, real, understanding, tangible, not just revelation because we use the word so much, Love of Jesus. you got to know how much he loves you. you got to know how much he loves you. And see, this is what Paul says. In order for us to be the ambassadors that we've been called to be, to, to do what God has put us on this earth to do, the work of what the body of Christ should be doing, and our primary purpose is to show the love of God on earth, we've got to have a change in our perspective. And that change starts with an encounter that comes from the love of Christ. We've got to encounter the love of Christ. One of the most powerful, man, okay, here we go. One of the words that is used of Jesus at the birth is Emmanuel, and I love that word. 
Because it is a powerful doctrinal theological statement. The word Emmanuel means God came near. And it wasn't since Adam that man understood that God could be near to him. Even in their best state, God was far for them, put off where only one person could go one time a year that nobody could touch. And it was in God's heart to get close to man. So when Jesus came, Emmanuel, God with us, God near to us, it reinforced this truth. It is impossible for us to know the love of God, but Jesus hurled it and he loved us first. So this morning, if you find yourself and you say, that's me. I don't even have a first taste of the love of God. My heart is hurt. My heart is broken. I'm angry. This stuff happened. It wasn't fair. It wasn't right. Then to you, I say, it's okay. And what I ask you to do is this. Just simply make a statement and say, God, will you love me? Will you love me? Because my promise to you is this. He is still Emmanuel. He'll be near to you. And so it starts with an encounter. It starts with an encounter of the love of Christ, and we couldn't do it. He came near to us, and this is really the foundational cornerstone of the message of being an ambassador and what it means to show the love of God on the earth, that we understand that it was impossible for us to know the love of God apart from Jesus revealing it to us. How is it going to be possible for your coworker to know the love of God unless Jesus in you is revealed to them? This encounter allows us to see people the way that Jesus does as new creations. This is really just a a very good declaration of hope. See, the world will not change in its own reflection. That means this. Stop pointing out the problems to the world. Let me just just work on something right now. Stop arguing them on Facebook. Let Freedom Christian Fellowship be the church that's known in their Facebook conversations, but displaying the love of Jesus. Because the world's not going to change in its own reflections. It's only going to change in the reflection of God. And it's only going to change as it comes into an encounter with the love of God. And if you don't believe that the love of God is powerful enough to change somebody's heart, go back to step one. The second thing that happened was this. We see here as a calling that the church has. So we, we have a need to show the love of God on earth. The second thing we need to be is a people of restoration. In verses 18 and 19 in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we see this. Paul says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Some of you understand what it means to restore something. Some of you here can see just a a heap of metal, as somebody once called a car. It's rusted out. It's just garbage. It doesn't run. There's nothing right. The tires are flat. And in your mind, you don't see just a heap of junk, a a glob of metal, but you see a beautiful, pristine, just, just roaring, racing muscle car. 
Some of you here see a piece of furniture that's destitute for the dumpster. It's just, it's destined for the dumpster. You're like, oh my goodness, honey, pull over. It's got to be ours. I need it. I need it. I need it. And, uh, and, and you see something much more beautiful. You see something being restored. You see something of value. And this is really what the church is called to. This is the joy that is set in front of us, this message of, of restoration. And, and this is just very simple. This is what God asks us to say, to be, to do. And we, we capture this. And when we stand in front of the world, this is what we're to say. As we look at people, as we see people the way that Jesus sees them, as our hearts are filled with the love of Christ, as we carry this message of reconciliation seriously, this is our statement. Our cry. And it says this. This is what you were created for. This is what you were created for. Here is your purpose. But only through Christ can you be made whole. When's the last time you looked at somebody and you thought that in your heart and your mind? You saw somebody in a broken state and your response in your heart directed by the Holy Spirit is this. You were created for so much more. When you looked at somebody who was going down, not going up, and you spoke to them and said, this, you have a higher purpose. There's a bigger call on your life. And this is what it means to be a minister of reconciliation. This is what it means for the body of Christ to be alive and at work on the earth. This is what Jesus did for us. And see, the model can't be separate from Jesus. Jesus is the model. Because what did Jesus do when he reconciled us through the act of work for the work of the cross? As he called us to a higher purpose. And see, just like restoring something, an old car, a piece of furniture, or anything, anything. You see something more in it and you spend the time, the labor, you make the investment. You have a relationship with it. And here's the reality of of what the body of Christ is called to do on the earth and what it means to be ministers of, of reconciliation. There's an investment made, but it's made in behalf of Christ Jesus because there's not words enough to restore somebody. See, in order for restoration to happen, it can only come through reconciliation. That means this, for you to reach your higher purpose, you must be made whole through Christ Jesus. But the world must see Christ Jesus in us. You know, I, I, I watched this documentary um, months ago on the Jesus movement. I love, I, I, love, I love that. My parents were saved. I've told this story before. Some of you are, um, were part of that. You you're, um, came out of that, the Jesus movement. If you're not quite sure what it was, it's just the Spirit of God was being poured out in the late 60s and 70s on a bunch of hippies. It was great. They just started loving Jesus and, and seeing people come to Jesus, their friends. That's all that mattered. You know, it's really kind of um, beautiful because they didn't gather around a performance. They gathered around a guitar. They didn't have their baptisms in the front of a church. They had their baptisms in an ocean where somebody would call out and say, you need to know Jesus. He loves you with all of your heart, with all of his heart. Would you come to Jesus and be baptized today? And Young people would flood off the cliffs of the beach and just come down and give their lives to Jesus and get baptized. But I watched this video, and in this video, this guy was, was talking to this, this young man, was talking to this other young man, and he was telling him out in the street about Jesus. 
And he's telling the man with all this passion and all this sincerity, and he's going, listen, you got to love Jesus. Well, you love Jesus. And this guy was smoking, and, and the guy telling him about Jesus stopped him and said, hey, you mind putting out that cigarette because what I'm telling you matters. And I watched and I went, what? <laughs> this guy's about to get clocked. Not even in the least bit of me would I even imagine doing something like that. And, and my first blush, my first reaction was, man, that's, that's pretty bold. Like, that's like, I don't know if I even agree with that. Like, man, why can't you just see past the smoke? And it took a while for something to begin to click in me because the ministry of reconciliation is not simply conforming to the world. What it is is saying there's a higher purpose that you've been called to, and it's only in Christ Jesus that you can be made whole. Now, understand something. I'm not coming against smoking. That's not the point of this. But when somebody understands their higher purpose, letting go of the things that come down and nip at them is easy. But what if it mattered in the way that we value what is given to them and we understood it as reconciliation because we're living in that freedom? Okay. This is not about smoking. I don't care if you smoke. Okay? It's not about smoking. All right. This is good stuff because here's the thing is that we have to look at it in its face and we have to respond to it. Because in order for us to look at people and say, this is what you're created for, this is your higher purpose, and there's so many beautiful things that tie into that, like the gift of prophecy and a word of wisdom or discernment, these beautiful gifts the Holy Spirit gives that are so necessary. And again, I want to tell you something. Listen, let's stop cheapening the gifts and start using them outside the walls of the church. When you call someone that higher purpose and say, listen, that's who you were created to be. You don't see yourself because of the bondage of sin. And there's one who can make you free and pull you that higher purpose. The next statement that comes out of our mouth must be this. Here's how I know it. Because he did it for me, he will do it for you. See, you can't give something that you don't have. You have to live in it. And so the little things that are clipping at us and nipping at our freedom and and pulling us down, listen, it's time to kick those things off and begin to take seriously what we've been called to do as a body of Christ on the earth. It's way too easy to pick a fight. It's way too easy. It's much harder to live like Jesus. But you have been called to live like Christ Jesus on the earth. The third thing is this is it brings, we've been called to bring people into the purposes of God. So the three things the body of Christ is called to do is to show the love of God on the earth, to be a people of restoration, and to bring people into the purposes of God on the earth. Again, looking back at 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21, it says this, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making this appeal through us. We implore implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In pulling people and showing people the love of Jesus, by carrying the love of Jesus and being the active work of reconciliation on the earth and restoration, and calling people to their full potential through the wholeness of Christ, we bring people into the purposes of God. To live as a people of God. To live the life that they were meant to live, the life that brings fulfillment and joy. 
And Jesus actually says this, and he says it with a great deal of boldness. He talks about this idea that the life called in him, called to his purposes, actually brings fulfillment and joy, that your joy may be fulfilled. We're going to look at that in just a second. But it takes a people who are living their life for the purposes of God. Here's what I want to give to you and what I believe the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says is this, that purpose comes, it's at the intersection. Purpose comes at the intersection when our hearts are transformed by the love of Christ and our minds are renewed by the righteousness of Christ. Purpose comes at the intersection, comes when our hearts are transformed by the love of Christ and our minds are renewed by the righteousness of Christ. Let me explain that really quick. When somebody's heart has been transformed by the love of Christ and they've encountered a love like they've never known, one that can heal them, set them free, bring them peace, break the grip of condemnation and shame, the next thing that has to happen is this, and this is what Paul writes, this beautiful act of reconciliation where Jesus Christ became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. When you understand how deeply you've been loved, the next thing you need to know is who you are. And having our minds renewed to the truth that we are the righteousness of God called sons and daughters. Able to call God Father, Daddy. It's so important. Why? Because in this context where we have the love of God that has ruined our hearts in a good way, it's wrecked our hearts and, and given us a beautiful perspective on love and knowing who we are, guess what? No matter where you are, you're going to fulfill the purpose of God. So you can be anywhere. You can be in your kitchen. You can be in the lunchroom at your workplace. You can be in your classroom. You can be at the mall. It doesn't matter where you are you will fulfill the purposes of God. Why? Because in you, you carry as an ambassador the message of reconciliation. See, but the problem is this, is that you cannot walk in the purpose of God without having your heart absolutely wrecked by the love of God. Having all the hurt eradicated by the love of God, having all the fear dispelled by the love of God, having the chains of addiction be overcome by the love of God, you can't begin to know the purposes of God. And you'll never, ever, ever have the boldness to enter into the very presence of God as a son or a daughter until you understand how much you are loved. How much you are loved. And this is what the body of Christ is a reflection of on the earth is that we have been called back to the original intent of man on this earth to live under the purposes of God. And friends, it's not legislated. It is a spiritual thing. Stephen, come on up, bud. As we close this service this morning, I just want to give you Jesus' words. You can close your Bibles. I just really want you just to, to hear this. Forgive me in any bit of um, 
compassion that you have sensed. Not because I'm asking you to forgive my passion, I'm not. But I don't want you to confuse my passion with this very important truth about who you are and who this church is, what this church is. Is that you are a people who are focused on the purposes of God. You are a people whose hearts are fueled with the love and the grace and the generosity of God. Keep on going. And let all of our passion never be directed toward condemnation, but be directed to the mission that we've been called to. Because I believe with all of my heart that these chairs should be filled up three, three or more times a Sunday. Why? Because God really does love the world. It's just very, very simple. And you are the people called to that. In John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, Jesus has a conversation with his disciples right after the Passover meal that is so confusing to them because they're hearing Jesus talk about leaving and they're talking and Jesus says, some of you are going to betray me and all these things are, are taking place and this fear begins to well up in his disciples' hearts. But what Jesus says is so important for them but really so important for us. Because Jesus outlines just two critical things and it ties into the purpose of the, the body of Christ on the earth. He says, listen, this is what you're called to do. And this is, good, this is why it's good that I leave. And he begins to explain to them, and, and it starts really with this, this question that Judas asked Jesus. And I want to read this to you. Just listen. In John 14, 22 and 24, then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but said, But Lord, why, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And this is the question. This is the question, and it should be in every one of our hearts, is God, how do you plan on getting your, your message, who you are, what we saw of you? It's not, it's not this message like that was written down. Jesus didn't write down a manual and say, just copy this off just millions and millions of times and, and pass it out like flyers. What Judas was asking Jesus was super legitimate in saying this, and saying, hey, how are we going to get who you are out into the world? How are we going to get like that time like you loved us when we were being stupid? How are we going to get that out into the world? Jesus, that time that you talked to the Pharisees and they had you cornered with religion and you said, my father's not about religion, he's about relationship. How are we going to get that into the world? Like you showed us, but like we don't know how to get that out there. And Jesus says, listen, I'm leaving. <laughs> no. Not the answer, Jesus. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to remind you of all things. He's going to empower you to be what you've been called to be, my body on the earth. Now listen to this. In John 17, Jesus prays for us. In verse 20 through 23, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you. That's you. That's me. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. 
may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and I've loved them even as you have loved me. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He's answering the question that was asked three chapters earlier by Judas. And the question that we need answered in us. And Jesus is saying this, listen, the world's going to know. They're going to know the love that I've given you by how close you stay connected to who I am. They're going to know the love that I've given you by how you follow what I've asked you to do. Let me rephrase that. They're going to know the love that is in you from me when you live according to the purpose that I've created you to live for. See, because what they're going to see is that the Father's in me and you're in me. And they're going to see that love complete and the world's going to take notice. They're going to see something different. Notice that Jesus didn't say you're going to stand up and you're going to lecture them. Notice Jesus didn't say you're going to begin to condemn them in their unbelief and in their sin. What he said is that as you live in the revelation of the love, they're going to see it. Here's our takeaway today. It starts by getting in love. By getting in love. You need to get in love with Jesus. If you don't know the love of Jesus this morning, it was displayed on the cross. The baby infant Jesus came to earth to be a sacrifice. He was born to die. And he died on that cross. Why? Because as the perfect sacrifice, he paid the price for your sins so that you could be reconciled, that you could come in and you could know the love of God. And unless you have a revelation of that love of God, you can't move forward. And maybe this morning, that this is your first time here, and that's you, I'm speaking to you, and you need to respond, and your response will say, God, I need to know your love. I need it to do something, and I want to invite you into this wrestling match. I want to invite you into this thing where you wrestle with this so that you would know the love of God. And maybe this morning you're sitting here and you've been here for years and years and years, but there's a broken part of you and you don't know the love of God. And my prayer is the same for you. That you would say, God, love me. Love me with the kind of love that will transform me, the love that will heal me, the love that will set me free. The next thing that we have to do is we have to obey in love. We have to obey in love. John 15, 10 and 12 says, if you will keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept the Father's commands and remain in his love. There's a part of our life where we have to take a step of obedience and we have to begin to obey in love. We have to do the things that we have been, God has asked us to do, to say the words that God has asked us to speak, to obey in love. See, but you cannot obey in love until your heart has been consumed by the love of God. Please understand that. Some of you have tried. 
Some of you have tried and tried and tried and tried. You said, listen, if I just do the right things, that's, that's actually filthiness. But if Jesus will transform your heart, and he will with his love, obeying what he asks us to do becomes easy. And there's a purpose for that. So that the world may know. And then finally, we need to grow in love. We need to grow in love. That means this. That every day, we take an active step going in love. Let's stand to our feet. And there's so many amazing things that we've been called to, church. God has called Freedom Christian Fellowship to so many folks that have been called to do great things. Every one of us. So thankful for that. This is a great church. God's doing great things. I just want to pray this morning that, that we would just let our hearts begin to open up to that revelation. Oh, man, we're at a crossroads in our country, aren't we? It's messy. Oh, it's messy. It's so great. It's so great. Some of you are scared to death. Stop. See, because this is our opportunity to love. And I haven't seen one time where the love of God has lost. Not one time. Not in my life, not in my brokenness, not in my anger, not in my sin, not in addiction. I haven't seen, I've never seen the love of God lose. And as the body of Christ on the earth, oh, listen, this is a great time to love. This is a great time to carry that love outside these four walls to to say, God, are we a demonstration, an active demonstration of your love? Are we looking at restoration in God? Help us to bring and to be people who live in your purposes. Let's pray. Father, this morning I thank you for what you've called this church to, God, and every person in it. And so, Lord, I declare your great grace over every person. Father, I thank you, Lord, no matter if they have a picture of restoration in their family, in their own life. God, I pray that you be the God of restoration, that Jesus, that you would come in a very real way and love the broken areas of our heart. And bring us into a place of restoration. And that morning, with it, this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, there's, there's a, an area of your life where you're, you're broken, your personal life. All I'm going to ask you to do is just to raise your hand right now. If that's you, thank you. Thank you. I just want to pray for you right now. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that, you, that your love is so amazing and so real. And Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would just come and, and touch our hearts, God. It's, it's our cry, it's our prayer right now that God come in and love us with that transformational love that Jesus only you can give. Come and heal our hearts. Or take the wounds, Father God, from this life, the pain of this life, the disappointment. Father God, the frustrations, the fears, the addictions, And Jesus, through your love, break those things off of us. Holy Spirit, begin just to pour out your love in a real way. I thank you for that right now in the name of Jesus.
Father, I pray for every person here and us as a body, Lord, that we would walk in your purposes, that we would be a people called bold to do the things that you've called us to, God. Thank you, Lord. We embrace that. Lord, just begin to, just even now, Lord, just in in folks' hearts here, God, just begin to release, Lord, your love that brings boldness. Some of you here this morning, you need to, there's something that's been weighing on your heart, something that God's called you to do, and you're in that step where it's time to obey in love. Look, God's confirmed, he's filled your heart with his love, and it's time to obey in love. For some of you, there's a message in you. For some of you, that there is a step. There's an office in you. There's something that God is calling you to. There's an act of restoration even in your family. It's time to obey in love. It's time to take that radical step. Some of you here this morning are even afraid of what's going to happen when you do that. I just want to, just in the name of Jesus, I want to break that fear off of you. I just want to come in agreement with you as the body of Christ. Just to say there's a boldness for you to do that. To obey in love. Father, for every one of us, let us grow in your love. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen. Amen.